This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Welcome to the Not Lukewarm Podcast with Deanna Bartolini, an author, speaker, and retreat leader who wants you to know your faith and live not lukewarm. Welcome, everyone. It's Deanna Bartolini with the Not Lukewarm Podcast, and I am very excited today. I have a special guest. I have another author. You know how I love to interview authors, and this woman is Jennifer Hubbard. She is a graduate of Randolph-Macon Women's College. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Art History and Communications. After graduating from college, she worked for a Fortune 100 company for nine years. Jennifer then left the professional workforce to raise her two children, Frederick and Catherine. Her youngest child, Catherine Violet, was a victim of the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting. In her memory, Jennifer and her family established the Catherine Violet Hubbard Foundation and are building the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary in Newton, Connecticut. The sanctuary serves as a safe haven for the animals Catherine loved, honoring the bonds that exist between humans and animals. Jennifer currently serves as the president of the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary and is a monthly contributor to Magnificat, a regular guest on Nebraska-based Spirit Morning Radio, a recipient of two Catholic Press Awards, and has shared her story with audiences across the country. Jennifer is a published author, and her latest book, her new book, is Finding Sanctuary, which has just come out in April. So, Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. It's Jenny, nice to be here. Jenny. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk to you um, and find out really about the book and about the work that you've been doing uh, after the tragedies that you've experienced in your life. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> it, it, it is a lot, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, this is like a spoiler alert. So I picked up the book and I thought, all right, we all need sanctuary. And I didn't know Jenny before I started reading the book. I feel like now I do know her. What I appreciated most about the book is that though you certainly speak to your personal tragedy, you don't make it all about you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important to me. Um, <clears throat> has been important since Catherine died. Um, there's, I just, f for me, the fact is that people lose their babies every day. Um, and I, I opened the book with it and I really, I kind of sat with, with the opening for a very long time um, because I wanted to make sure that it was crystal clear to anybody who read the book that my tragedy and my trial is no greater than anyone else's. Um, I think because of Sandy Hook, because of, because of the the publicity that surrounded it and the the national attention international attention um i've been afforded a lot of opportunities that other families are not afforded and that just it breaks my heart it really does it just brings me down to my knees and makes me um realize how much i have been blessed um in the wake of Catherine's death. I, I wanted to make sure that it was acknowledged that hurt is hurt is hurt. 
um, regardless of, I call it your it. Everyone has one. And if you don't have one, brace yourself, sister, because it's, it's coming. It is coming. It, it's true. That, and everyone's tragedy is their own. And so yes. you, can't, you can't compare it, right? Um, yeah. You can't say this person's is worse and that person's is worse because everyone has their own different ability really to handle it. And I think that also colors how difficult things seem. You know, do you have the, the resources, whether it be friendships or the spiritual resources to move forward? And I think mm -hmm. in your book, you talk so much about, well, first of all, you talk a lot about the idea that there is no sense of, okay, so I'm going to grieve, I'm going to do this first and that first, and then I'll be done, right? There's no, there's no being done with gr the grieving process, is there? Oh, no. That coming, we realize that I just, I just take it day by day. And the realization that there is no roadmap. Um, there's only a God that will take your hand and walk you down a path of whatever it means for me personally to grieve. I, I, I'm struck with, I'm struck with going through what I've gone through that God knows at every single moment what exactly we need. And it's different for every single person. I mean, we all have unique thumbprints. We all, we all have um, a personal relationship with our father, our heavenly father, and he knows what we need. It is no different than us with children, how we understand how unique our children are and how a response in one situation is not at all going to be the response for another child in another situation. And the same rule, it's almost like a duh, same rule applies for us. We're, we're his children. Um, and there is no, I write about it. And I, and I, I say that how I grieve Catherine is not how <laughs> Matt grieved her dad grieved his daughter or Freddie her brother, how he grieved his sister or my parents or my ex-husband's parents. Everybody has a different response. And when, when we, as, as a human, as, as one of God's chosen, when we can embrace that and just accept people where they are with their pain, with their grief, with their joy, um, then I think we become God's face to them. There's no expectations. That is really true. It's when we, when we realize that we are each unique and yeah. that the grieving is going to look different for every single person and that we have to accept that, yeah. you know, to accept that and to walk with people, but not tell them what to do or how to do it. Yeah, it's a, I think that for, for, for a lot of, for a lot of people, it's the, it's the coming to, to a place of really living the whole thought of eyes on me. Like Jesus tells us, follow me, like just watch me. Um, and when we can do that and, and eyes on him and follow him, then we're not so concerned about how this person or how that person is performing um, in their grief process. It's, 
it's understanding where we play a role in that, the nudge of, I really do need to pick up the phone and call. I really do need to write the note or knock on the door or give them space. Yeah, it's, it's paying attention really. Those, those knocks, those nudges, those are, that's the prompting of the spirit and go with that, you know, go with that. Um, what, if you, now this is sort of a like, all right, how did you come to write this book? What really made you write this book? I mean, obviously you, you've gone a long way in the grieving process and in doing so many wonderful things to honor your daughter. Um, but what made you decide to write a book? God. <laughs> God. Amen. God. <laughs> I... In losing Catherine and growing in my faith, I have become very aware, acutely aware of those things where I believe God is taking me and calling me. And it had, it came from a place of being on my knees, of, of quiet and of stillness and of trust and confidence in the nudge that I'm hearing or feeling or the whisper that keeps seems to grow is God. I, I, I wrestled with it for a long, long, long time. I pushed it away. I shrugged it away. And we have to be careful what we pray for, because when we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear, we're going to get eyes to see and ears to hear. And so um, I had thought about writing a book uh, and it just, it, it's amazing to me to look back and see all the all the steps that were put in place to get me to a point where I was going to write the book. It it started with writing for Magnificat and then going out on the road and sharing my story with um, Legatus chapters um, and you know, slowly the evolution of have you ever thought about writing a book? You really should capture. And I did, I had thought about it, but it never really dawned on me. And it took a couple of knocks um, of ego <laughs> to finally write the book. Um, but when it happened, I, I, I have in my, in my journal for, at the beginning of the year, like, what am I gonna do this year, God? What are your plans for me this year? And th the idea of the book kept coming up, kept coming up. And then um, Ave Maria Press came back and they said, we'd love for you to write the book. It was March 1st. And, um, but you know, the big, they had this big caveat of the book. We'd like you to write the book, but can you get it done by May 31st? And I was just, wow. it was overwhelmed. Yeah, like, wow. <laughs> wow, God, like, you really, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I could do this. And then COVID shut everything down. Uh, we literally shut down the office for the, for the foundation. And everyone was working for, from home. And I wrote the book. I, what's your COVID story? I wrote mine. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was, it was one of, it was, it was one of these moments where when the book was written and I sat down with it, I, I thought that I was good 
And I think it's true for so many of us. Like we think that we're good. I thought I was good in February of 2013 after Catherine died. I thought that I was good March 1st of 2020. And I wrote the book and I realized that there was a lot of things that I needed to work through for myself. Um, and they came through on the, on the pages. So writing the book was helpful for your, for, for further healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I really do think, I mean, you, you alluded to it earlier, there is no end date to grief. I think that as I look back on my life, when I'm 80, I will still have days where I just desperately miss Catherine. Um, and I will have periods of just extreme joy. I think it becomes part of the fabric of our lives and, and the story that we're telling. Um, we're gonna have moments of really dark sadness and we're gonna have periods of tremendous joy and they get woven together beautifully. They, they do. And I mean, Jesus was the a perfect example of out of his great pain and suffering came our greatest joy. And so that's the Christian life, right? Is to have the joy and the pain together, sometimes even simultaneously, um, because he gave us that gift. And yeah. it, it really is a gift. Um, and I don't think that everyone has it. No, I really believe that we, we do ourselves a disservice when we allow people to rush through whatever the season of pain they are feeling. I really do think it a disservice when we allow people to stay in bed. I think that um, when we give people liberty to hide and to wallow in the trial, and I'm not saying that everybody has to bootstraps up, square your shoulders and, and not acknowledge the pain, I think that when we wallow in it and we hide behind it, that when we don't stand strong in, in the trial, knowing that we're held, we are held by God in that trial. It's, um, it's a disservice because the beauty that's on the other side of that trial is so much greater than the trial itself. And it is so hard to trust God, when it hurts so bad, but when we do, and it happens over and over and over again, our faith just blossoms because we can say to our hearts and to others, God is here. You may not see it. I may not see it, but God is moving mountains that I can't even contemplate right now. I'm just going to trust on that one <laughs> and know that whatever's on the other side, not even define what it looks like, know that at some point we're going to open our eyes and see ourselves laughing. Or for me, open my eyes and see, see my son just vibrant and living life um, to see, you know, the, the fruit of, you know, Catherine's life come to life in the form of a sanctuary to, to feel the peace that I have. I was such a bundled up mess of nerves and, and just vines before Catherine died, like uh, nervous about what I was gonna give for Christmas presents and losing sleep over it. Like, really? That's not what God, that's not what God calls us to. I was laughing about your gingerbread house story. So you'll have to, you'll have to read the book 
guys, if you want to know about the gingerbread house story, but it's true. Like you, you do talk about the fact that before Catherine died, you were not living, you know, this calm, serene, peaceful life full of joy. There was that, that worldly anxiety really is what it seems like was going on. And not a judgment, uh, have lived there many a time myself. Right. right. Um, and I think, I think when I, as I read through the book, as I read the book, I thought, I thought about you sitting at your kitchen table. Cause you, you talk about that sitting at your kitchen table. And I thought how normal, how regular, like you, you worked through this pain and suffering of, of your daughter being killed and taken from you and so many people's lives were shattered yours your 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 child your your son your parents the rest of the people in your family and then the community you know all of that and like you said it was it was not just something that happened in sandy hook connecticut we all saw it everywhere everywhere mm-hmm. and so to have to overcome that tragedy while people were watching it wasn't a private event Sadly, it was, it was not a private event. And so many people, when they have to grieve losses like this, they grieve privately. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, as I said, as I was reading the book and you, you saying certain things about people looking at you and um, like more with curiosity than with helpfulness. um, I wonder if it, if it's easier, uh, easier is such a terrible word to use, but like to grieve privately, because you had to grieve publicly in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And that's such an interesting, that's an interesting thought, because I often wonder if I could grieve privately, how much harder is that? Like, I, and I don't know, I, I, it's one of the, it's, it's a question that I often ponder, and, and I've come to this conclusion for now, that I don't think God, I think God knew, I, I, I think God knew like that would have been way too much for me to do it, to do it privately. Like I, there were days where, where my family was just grieving, rattled um, and everybody, everybody re- retreated at, I use the term in the book, everybody kind of retreated to their corners. Um, And it was painfully quiet. But yet at the same time, I had a sense of people knew why I was so painfully quiet. Like I was, I don't know if I could have, if I, if, if I was walking in today and, you know, I had to bury Catherine in a week and nobody knew, like, you know, it was, it was very private. I don't know how I would do it. I don't know. And that's why my heart breaks for those families that are in a hospital right now or planning a funeral right now. It's a dark and lonely road in, in those formative moments of coming to a realization of this is the rest of my life. This is not just a week of I've got a plan and and I've got to 
make all of these arrangements, there's going to come a day where all of the cars go away and the fridge isn't stocked with, you know, the meals from neighbors or, and you come to the realization that this is life. And I, my heart breaks because it's hard. It, my heart breaks when I hear that there's been another tragedy. My heart breaks when I hear that someone is now, you know, walking down this road because it's just, it's, it's painful and it's lonely. I think my question I have is this, did you, we all like, you, know, you think in your head when you write a book, you have to write it for someone, right? Who did you write this book for mostly? I think I wrote it to myself to remember. That's interesting. It yeah. is truly a beautiful book and I think uh, that this book would help everyone who goes through tragedy. And basically, if you're human and honest with yourself, you have tragedy. And, and like you said, when we started out our conversation, it may not have happened yet, but does, does anyone escape this life without having it happen to them? I don't think so. No, no. I, I don't think so. And for the person that says that they do, that they've lived this beautiful life, I feel kind of bad. I'm not a martyr. Like I don't, I don't want to come across as if, you know, I love this sort of season of grief, but there is beauty in a trial. I think there is growth in a trial. Um, and I think that everything around us and every example that we're, that we're given teaches us that you plant a seed and it's dark and you don't know what's happening and it's sort of out of your control. And then you, know, you get this sprout of beauty that just grows and grows and grows. Um, and I feel like a life that's rich is a life that has overcome trials. It is hard and it is messy and it is clunky. And I hope that in in reading the book, whomever is sitting on his or her couch reading it, they're given permission to be clunky and, and to not be perfect and be a beautiful griever because grief in its messiness and grief in, in however it's handled is beautiful. That's enough. It's enough. It's enough that you're crying. Um, and I think when we can share that, share those tears and share our vulnerability authentically, um, we grow as the people that God intended us to be. He knew that there were going to be trials in our lives. I mean, he knows it all. And for us to, for us to pretend that, wow, this is a surprise. And why did God allow this to happen in, in our lives or in my life um, really does a disservice to the love that our God has for us. Yeah, there really is no, the, the why is that it's the human condition and evil exists along with good and truth and beauty. And there's nothing we can do about that. But I think this, what you have written, and it's interesting to me that you said that you, that you wrote it, you know, it's for, it's for you. I mean, I felt, now granted, I have not had that tragedy happen to me in any way, shape or form, but I have had other tragedies. And so when I picked it up and it said finding sanctuary, I thought, my goodness, what a, it really is. God is our sanctuary. And that's yeah. what, and especially I have a great love for scripture. And so you 
quote scripture and use it in the reflection in the questions so beautifully. And that is where our hope and our strength lies. Um, and he will help us grieve because yes. he knows. Yes. I've come to a place where whatever the storm is going to be, and there, it, there's going to be more. When I can, when I can stay, stay centered um, in the truth that, that God is my sanctuary, that regardless of what I have happening all around me, when I can stay rooted and centered, and it may take sitting at my kitchen table a couple mornings to refocus my gaze, um, I will be fine. I will be absolutely fine. And I, I, I really think that holding tightly to that knowing is where we find that sanctuary, that, that peace of our heart. Bring it. Because I've got God and he's got me. That's right. We have God and God's got us, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a real good relationship there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Is, is, because I, I don't know. I, I, I know where I'd be without him. And it wouldn't be pretty at all. Well, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it would be a messy, messy, messy. Be a hot mess, mess right? Like, it would be a hot mess. mess. I mean, I really, there's, you know, there's, I, I, I've been a lot lately. Like, if not you, God, then who? I think that's just a, a, a really good, it's not a good sentiment. It's good advice, even though I'm not, I don't like to give people advice, but that is, if not mm -hmm. God, who? Um, Ooh, right. Where are you going to run to? Who are you going to run to? There's, you know, I, I talk about, I talk about in the book, like I used to think about where's my go-to place. Is it going to be a beach? Is it going to be a cliff? Is it going to be a rock in a raging river? Where is my go-to place going to be? My go-to place is God. Now more than ever. I, I came, I came to a place of, of being true and real with God. And in return, I found a place that being true and real with God, regardless of what it was in, in the messiness, in the, in the beautiful, well put together moments of this is for you, God, I've planned, I've planned this for you. And here you go. It's perfectly appointed or in the, I'm frustrated. I'm, di I'm disappointed. I thought I heard you. Where are you? Like, and still today, like, are you there? Really? <laughs> um, is this beautiful love that just there's God is so much bigger. Like there's an there's an awe and a power. He is so much bigger. And the fact that he would wrap his arms around us and not crush us, he has the potential to crush us. And he doesn't, he wraps his arms around us and fills us with a warmth that we know that we're enough and that he's enough. And that we just need to be good with that. It's a gift and it's a grace. Yeah, it is. It is a grace. It's an absolute grace because, and every day he gives us the grace we need. And yeah. I love that image when you were talking about God wraps his arms around us and he doesn't crush us. He doesn't overwhelm us. He is so gentle. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that's definitely something as I, as I read through the book, thinking I saw, I could see God's hand, you know, in, in where he brought you and how he brought you to different places and when. I mean, talk about perfect timing, right? We say that, oh, God has perfect timing. Well, he does. Yes. He really does. He does. Yes, you're right. He does. He does. And, you know, I think that he, I think that seeing that I had it all wrong um, and being delighted that I did was so freeing for me. I had this expectation that it was going to be this beautiful and extraordinary epiphany that when God answered me, God was going to part this part, the clouds and the thunderbolt and the neon sign and oh, the choir of angels would come out. And I, I, my heart breaks for which ones did I miss? Because I was so busy looking for something better and bigger and brighter. And, you know, I discovered that God really does see me and hear me in a nursery. I am not a gardener. I, I, and yet God spoke to me when he knew that I was still enough to listen. That is key. Jenny, you just said the key still, still. Um, I, I, yeah, amazing. I would love to talk to you for another hour, but I don't think that would work. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long people would want to listen to our conversation, <laughs> but I do, I, I want to tell people a couple of things. First of all, the book Finding Sanctuary, um, how the wild work of peace restored the heart of a Sandy Hook mother is published by Ave Maria Press, and it is available now on their website as well as on Amazon. And I always forget to say this, but you know, if you have a local bookstore, go to the local bookstore, support your yes. local bookstore. Yes. Um, it doesn't have to come in the mail. You can walk and go get the book, <laughs> put it in your hands right away. Um, yes. So that's one thing to please, if you are at all thinking that you would like to know how to, in your own life, move from tragedy to hope and not, not to survive, but to actually thrive, to, to, to become fully who God is calling you to be. Um, I, I really do think this book would be of a huge help um, to you. I know that I read it fairly quickly and I'm hoping to read it again with a group of friends because I think that's another great way to uh, you know, talk about things and, and discuss and, and see how other people are doing as well. Um, anything else you wanna leave us with? You've said so many great things. I've great conversation. Yes, I just, I leave you with my gratitude. Thank you so much. So thank you for being here with us. And um, I will be back again next week with another great episode of the Not Lukewarm podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Not Lukewarm podcast, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please subscribe or tell a friend or leave a review. You can find all show notes and links on notlukewarmpodcast.com. That's also where you can find links to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. If you have a topic that you'd like to learn more about or want to tell me how the Not Lukewarm Challenge went this week, please send me an email at Bartolini at mediaangels.com.